afternoon, ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to Circus Revolta, our new 2005 program. And the best this afternoon's performance, will you please welcome one of the most unique acts ever seen. Just a minute. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm trying to introduce the here. I always wanted to be a clown. The real challenge is to make the adults laugh. They have floppy feet and they're funny and they do tricks nose and he is wearing a funny jacket. They were able to do tricks on the people as they make balls behind their necks. I see big shoes on them. Sometimes, Sometimes they have funny hats that are red and purple. They cry with no tears coming out of their eyes. They're happy and sometimes they're sad. They have sad faces. I was born in Burr on the 16th of May, 1948, in my grandmother's caravan while the afternoon show was on. So I was top of the bill. That was the start of it. From then on, I just travelled with the show, like the rest of the family. The show moved the following day, and I was christened in a little place called Killion, 10 miles from Burr. All of the shows, it was the same thing. You know, it was just part and parcel. You were born in the caravan. Nowadays, they, you know, the women go to the hospitals and rejoin the show a couple of weeks afterwards. And But, I mean, in those days, they couldn't really, they couldn't afford a hospital. So unless there was an absolute emergency, that's what happened. But it wasn't just me, it was everybody else, you know, all the other show people as well. When people ask me where I'm from, I uh, I usually just say I'm from Burr, County Offaly. But then you can also be snookered because you get somebody that might be from Burr and they start asking you, oh, do you know so-and-so, do you know and, of course, you don't know anybody because you were there for one day. You've been back many days since, but it's still only for one day. So you don't know anybody there. We travelled by horses. All the, the loads were hauled by horses. So that meant getting up at three in the morning or half past two to go searching in the fields for the horses and then get the wagons all hooked up at first light then to start off to the next town. We all had to travel in in the caravans. My brother, my three sisters, and usually we used to travel in Granny's caravan. That was everybody else travelled in theirs. It was just the way. I mean, it was slow-moving little horse convoy, much 
like the old tinkers, you know, the old barrel-top wagons, just traipsing along, taking their time. There wasn't any hectic traffic on the road like there would be now. That was a way of life, like every other family in those days. We all just made a living, etched out a living. Uh, sometimes it was good. Sometimes they made plenty of money, and sometimes they all blew it. So it was easy come, easy go. Welcome to the wonderful world of circus. My earliest memory, I suppose, I used to sit in in my mum's bed in the end of the wagon and look out on a stormy night, the rain pouring down, and, and watch the guys roll up the tent and pack the tent up and up to their necks in muck, and I was snug as a bug with the fire going and sitting in bed. I can remember that. And there was always one story that I, I remember. We travelled in our granny's wagon, a caravan, horse-drawn. We were stopped by the, the tans. The kids, we were all in bed with granny. The door opened and this black and tan officer stuck his head in the door and typical Cockney accent, you know. He says, Hello, lady. He says, Any arms in there? Of course, he wasn't expecting. My granny was also an East Ender as well. And she, quick as a razor, replied, Yes, and plenty of bleeding legs too. Ah, hello, dear. Sorry I'm late. I got a bit tied up in the office, but uh, I won't bother about lunch. I had something when I was out. Ah, very nice. When I was growing up, we weren't in the circus business any longer. We were doing variety and drama. And then when we, the tent grew very, very old, canvas. Uh, we had a bad storm in Laytown, a little village in County Meath, and the tent was blown to pieces. We ended up selling what was left of the canvas to the farmers, the local farmers, you know, for covering hayricks and things like that. The seating was sold to them probably for firewood. From then on, we went into the halls, the little village halls. Now you're talking about the fit-ups. All right, so you've got plenty of money. You've got your own car. You've got a nice house. You've got all the clothes you want. What more do you want? Only I happen to be married to somebody, but I never see my husband from one end of the day to the other. Look, Mary, time and time again... The villages in those days, like, I mean, small... Small, small villages. So they would have maybe a little hall for local Cayleys or something like that. Some of the bigger villages would have a, the parochial hall. Uh, and we'd stay there for usually about a week, put on different performance every night. My father was uh, probably one of the best stand-up comedians in Ireland. He would do his, his spot my uncle would do a musical turn, and then we'd have a couple of sketches in between. My sisters would do their song and dance routines. Everybody done something. You had to build up the tent, you'd pull down the tent, you'd clean the tent out every day, make sure that papers were picked up, everything, you know. We had our own band. My mum played piano, my dad played drums, brother played trumpet, and my uncle, uncle played the accordion. It might have been hard for 
the folks worrying about, you know, where the next shilling was going to come from. But for the kids, I mean, never entered our minds. I mean, we just, we toured the country and we just ran around all the old castles or all the the old stately homes or anything like that. It was a magic time. It was a wonderful time for us. I like jazz. Uh, very, very strongly influenced by it. Well, the main thing that influenced me into jazz was my brother who played trumpet so he bought this uh, LP of it was called the Five Pennies Danny Kay Louis Armstrong few other and it was just uh, it was the story of Red Nichols and the Five Pennies to play it in the circus tent every day uh, on a portable record player and he used to play along with and he could play note for note he was that good I used to listen to it and that's what sort of got me into it my brother was playing trumpet he, he got a, an old trumpet from another guy on the show so then he was playing well enough to go on stage. I decided I wanted to play saxophone. My father said, right, well, we'll see. So he cut a, a piece of elder, a branch of elder tree. The elder is hollow. There's a cork. So he burnt out the cork with a, a poker and made the holes and fitted a saxophone mouthpiece and started me playing scales. So he said, when you can play scales on that, then we'll start looking around for a saxophone for you, which they did. And Bob swapped the trumpet and, I don't know, I think several free passes to the show for an old saxophone. Uh, and that was my first saxophone. So then I just had to practice every day. When I came back from school, it was one hour's practice, clean the tent, and then you could play for the rest of the day. Climb up on my knee, sunny boy. Boy, you're only three, sunny boy. There are certain songs that, uh, that I become very emotional playing. Uh, one of them, Sonny Boy. I, I get emotional playing that. Mainly because I, I played the part of Sonny Boy and I can remember sitting on my dad's knee and him 
singing Sonny Boy. And the angels grew lonely Took you because they were lonely No, I'm lonely too Sonny Boy My brother was put in a convent school up in, in Chapel Lizard, St. Joseph's College. He got on well there. He, he was very, very well thought of and liked, you know. But they decided to send me there as well, and I hated it. I think I started there when I was seven, and I think they... I, I was there about two years, and the nuns just said to the folks, take him out. You know, we don't we don't want him here anymore. I kept on escaping from the school and getting back to the circus, even at that age. I just didn't like being away from the travelling. I didn't like the regime. I just couldn't couldn't take it with the nuns, you know. It was just, to me, it was a concentration camp, you know. But to all the other kids, everybody else seemed to like it. It was, it was just me, probably. They decided, right, well, there's no point in sending him back to school. From then on, they pulled me out of the college. Everywhere we went, my brother would bring me down to the local national school and ask the headmaster if I could sit in for the week we were there, or the two weeks we were there. My brother, Bob, adapted tremendously to it, and he just seemed to be a natural, you know, he was fine. But in latter years, he was the same anyway. You know, he he settled down here in Ireland, and I packed up and went off and went to various places. I just carried on the traditional hobo travelling. The old ways are changing, you cannot deny the day of the traveller is over. There will always be the travel lust. You never get that out, out of anybody's system, you know, and if you've got it in your system, then there's nothing you can do about it. It's a disease. You just can't stay in one place. Goodbye to the tent and the old caravan To the tinker, the gypsy, the travelling man And goodbye to the 30-foot I I didn't join circus until I was about 16 and a half. When we were doing fit-ups, if one of the circuses came near, in those days we had faucets and Duffy's, and we would always go over and visit to see the show. And I was always intrigued with the circus. I was speaking to one of the Duffy's, Jimmy Duffy, and he said, right, he says, if you want to do a season with us, come on, let's do it. And that was my introduction, reintroduction to circus. First time I've ever been in the ring of my life. And I couldn't have got a better education because there was... Seven brothers, the Duffy's seven brothers and and the one sister, and every one of the Duffy's could do so many different things. The circus band was the boys, and just before their spot, they'd jump down off the bandstand, nip, in, nip into the caravan, change, 
and then into the ring and do the thing, back up onto the van stand play. It was my first chance to get back into a circuit because I'd never, I'd only been in fit-ups. So it was a tremendous uh, venture for me. And the Duffy family were very close to our family. They were very, very good to me as well. And, well, it was just, it was a tremendous show. It was just a terrific. It was good. It was good times. I was sort of accepted into the family, you know. Johnny Duffy was probably one of the most famous clowns in Ireland. He, he was called Sausage. Uh, you know, there was two, Bobby Fawcett and Johnny Duffy. Bobby was more an artist. He, he was a horseback rider. He was a fantastic wire act, a tightrope act, comedy car, and as indifferent to that, Johnny Duffy would walk in to the ring with a jam jar and a teaspoon with a, a bit of thread around it and have the people falling off the seats laughing. He was just a natural, natural clown. Well, like, there was one, it was called a bunk wagon, say a 24-foot-long wagon with a partition in the middle, a door on each end. The one season we had a, a guy called Nyoka. We used to call him Nike. He used to do a Tarzan-type act. He used to rub uh, baby oil. He used to mix baby oil and cocoa to get a tan, and he dyed his hair black, 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 jet black. But he was an EastEnder. He was called blimey, hello, mate, how's it going? Nike was with them for quite a few years, but a great character. Uh, now he had a full-grown lion called Simba. He used to walk Simba on a lead, a chain lead, and he had at least half a dozen snakes up to a 24-foot python. With the weather over here, he had to, particularly for the snakes, he had to keep their temperature, the body temperature. up. So he used to keep them in the bed with him. Uh, Simba had to sleep on the floor, and Simba would, would wait until all was quiet, you know, lights out and everyone was asleep and the next thing he'd jump up onto the bed <laughs> and you can imagine the weight of a whole full run line. the whole wagon used to rock and if you were next door in the process of chatting up one of the local ladies from the town and the next thing this wagon would nearly turn over and you'd hear Simmer, get down and the lion roaring and, of course, the girl was gone. She didn't know what the hell was happening. She was gone out the door, and you would never see her again. Of course, the following day, you would say, Thank you. Thanks, Nike. You've done it again. Now, sorry about that, mate. Sorry. Bloody Simba again. <laughs> I always wanted to be a clown. Even, for, you know, at the latter stage, you know, in my latter years of clowning, for me, the challenge was... A clown, you can you can put anybody with a bit of white paint, grease paint and a red nose and big shoes and stick them in the ring and the kids will laugh. You know, that's that's a clown. But the real challenge is to make the adults laugh. And that for me was always the challenge. I used to while I was working in the ring, I'd search 
search the faces for reactions. And if I could make the adults laugh, then I was happy, I was satisfied, you know. That was the ultimate challenge for me. It's a number I used to use as a sort of signature tune when I was working in the circus. Uh, Again, recorded by many artists. Sinatra, the whole tootie, you know the lot. Uh, Send in the clowns. Clowns are usually sad people. It's a strange thing. I've never known a happy clown. I think it just draws too much out of you when you're working in the ring. It doesn't matter what, how you feel or, you know, what's happening. You've got to go in there and you've got to be funny. And I think maybe that does uh, draw it out of you. Probably the hardest was when I was in South Africa and I got word that my mother was being, uh, that she had died and she was being buried on the Monday. And I didn't actually get word until the Monday, so there was no way in God's earth that I was going to get back in time. And we were pretty well in the bush anyway, so I wouldn't have been able to get back It would have been a couple of days maybe to get back to Cape Town or to Joburg to get a plane out, and so there was no way. And I just had to go in and work, and I I knew. I didn't feel too happy, you know. This is the makeup box. Uh, Powder, uh, with your powder base. That's the white uh, Leishner for the the white makeup. Makeup is all important. I mean, it's a bit of a legend that every clown has his own makeup and nobody copies that makeup. Uh, So a lot of clown's makeups are very similar. But, you know, out of respect, nobody copies identically uh, another clown's makeup. I started with a sort of a hobo-type makeup when I started with Johnny Duffy, and then I went on to my own makeup, and I used that for all the time I was in circus, apart from a couple of times in Cape Town when we were doing things like a, a water sketch or a wallpaper sketch. It was so messy. Your makeup would be washed off. It started off... Nearly every clown usually goes for the rounded eyes, you know, the white with the with the black edge. So I decided right now I'm going to go for something different. So I, I went for square, almost two box patches. And the mouth, a lot of clowns go for the, a smile. And I always went for the serious, the more serious face. And these... Or cigar holders, uh, 
which they're handy for holding the the sticks of makeup. They save them getting mixed up or broken. You can get, you know, if you go in with the happy face, they all expect a clown with a happy face, you know, that's... Whereas if you go in with a anarchy face, you can get more reaction from the audience by glaring at them and from adults I'm talking about now. You go in and you take off your coat and shake it and there's dust flies everywhere and somebody laughs and, and you glare over at them. And the more you're getting annoyed, the more the audience are enjoying it. So it builds a very, very good repertoire between the audience and the actual clown in the ring. Talking for myself, as soon as you sit down and start putting on your makeup, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde character. You start becoming another character. You stop becoming who you are and you start becoming that clown. Uh, I always used to go into my trailer and sit there for half an hour after I finished, in makeup, pour myself good stiff drink and just sit down and relax. I never touched any part of the makeup. I sat there with the boots on, everything, the whole duty, just to unwind, then start to change. Once you change, then you're back into your normal self or abnormal self. A lot of people would have been uh, a lot happier being that clown character than uh, being the other person. Everybody has uh, grief or, or heartache or whatever in their life, and they've got to handle it the best they can. The wonderful thing about being a clown is once you... I found, once I put on that makeup, I forgot about it all. Never even entered my head. I used to feel just completely at ease, as if the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. It's gone. But then when you take it off, then it starts coming back to you, you know. Right. Yes, these are the costumes. The, this is one uh, one costume that was actually made by my sister, Sister Gay. And it's red tartan with black silk cuffs and lapels. And the tartan itself was made out of... Uh, uh, a car car seat blanket, you know the car blankets. The this one patchwork is uh, you can see that is first outfit that I completely got was an old set of tails, and I've still got those tails. Uh, I just roughed them up and patched them and got a pair of boots. Here's the boots I was telling you about. Now, that's the uppers. That was that old shoemaker cobbler in in West Cork. That's, uh, well, the uppers, they are the uppers for a normal normal pair of boots. And uh, what I'd done was... I my first the, uh, pair of boots my father made for me. Uh, he actually handmade, and I've still got those. Uh, you know, you can't wear the one suit the whole time, you know, so I've, I've got a different suits but I've still got the original my first set still intact just about the big baggy check suits you see I, I was a I was a Joey August whereas that's in difference to the the Spangaletti the more the continental type clown with the the beautifully spangled 
suits that weigh a ton and cost a ton as well. <laughs> and the peaked, you know, the peaked cap and the full white face, they were the always the lead clown and the August was the fallabout. He was the, the one that done all the dirty work, the falls, and he was the idiot. I've still got all the clown costumes stored away. I see a red nose, little spotty trousers and big shoes on his feet. They blow balloons up the wrong way. They have a little bicycle with one wheel. I'm really happy. Um, I see a red nose, red spots. He has a peachy head and a funny jacket and red. Sometimes they do funny tricks like juggle and sometimes they can do funny faces and fish faces. You know, if you think about it and really think about it, you're not going to last very long as a clown if you're not popular with kids and if kids don't like you and if you scare kids. You are not going to last very long. Your career will be cut abruptly. You'll always get the small, the tiny ones that are frightened by the, you know, the shouting as they may be coming into the ring or whatever. But generally speaking, you've got to have the kids on your side, as well as the adults. I mean, kids will laugh at a clown anyway, but to watch adults laugh, then you know you've got them. We'd done lots of old standard routines that had been done by clowns long before us and long before them, like the ghost entree, the picnic routine, the, the ghost. It's just the two clowns are called in to, by the ringmaster and the tent is supposed to be haunted and the clowns are told to mind the tent and the bed is carried in and the whole routine just carries on from there. The ghost appears and and then disappears behind the curtains and the kids join in and everything. The picnic routine is something similar. The two clowns come in and set up everything for the picnic and the, the bully, the big one, sends the other fella off packing and he decides to get stuck into the picnic on his own and the smaller clown comes back and starts switching everything around, you know. He has a, a bun on the plate and instead... He takes a bun off and puts a potato on the plate, whatever. If there's uh, different acts on the show, like a, a springboard act, they'll do a comedy springboard act after they finish. They can pretty well do anything, you know. They used to call me Fiery, Fiery Daniels, because of my temper when I was younger. Uh, I was fairly quick-tempered, and I was usually the bully. <laughs> yeah, they just nicknamed me Fiery. And it just stuck, you know, later on they used to call me Charlie. Well, you do mellow, don't you? <laughs> Another, one of the favourite songs, uh, Vienna, uh, which I... I think is a beautiful song. <laughs> 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 
I was always the wild one, you know. I mean, everybody else got married and settled down and got good jobs, and I didn't. I suppose the nearest I ever came to was uh, in the army, in the Irish army. Civilian life, I couldn't hack. So I just thought to myself, well, why not give the army a bash? Because Bob, my brother, had joined the army and he was doing well over here in the Irish army and he seemed to like it. So I thought, well, it must be okay if he likes it. So I just thought, right, give it a go. The circus are very, very similar, uh, or the, the forces, Air Force, Navy, whatever. You're a member of a family, and you're not getting up at half past seven in the morning and getting on a bus to, to go down and pack whatever it is in Sansa Sansa factory or, or, or do whatever you're doing. You're in the open most of the time. You're in fresh air, and you're sometimes you're in fantastic weather, sometimes you're not but you're in the open. And uh, that's the difference between civvy life and the army. You've got your bunch of buddies around you. The same with the showbiz. You've usually got a bunch of buddies with you. And it's sort of a, a different planet than the earthling who gets up and goes to work and finishes work at half past five and goes home to his matchbox. And that's him for the rest of his life. I mean, that's... That would kill me uh, to have to do that. Maybe it's because I never gave it much of a chance, you know. If I had have stayed, I, I could have done well. But I'd done three years, and that was it. That was enough. The wanderlust, time to pack up and go. A manager once, I used to, used to work for Woolworths in Henry Street as a security officer and uh, I went in and told him that I was handed in the notice and I was off heading off to Africa and I can't remember his name now but he looked at me and he laughed you know he he said yeah he said the dogs bark and the wagon wheels roll you can't help it can you he said you've got that wanderlust he says you'll never get it out of you and he was right, you know, he was dead right. I only lived in either a wagon or a army barracks, army billet. Uh, spent small time in a flat when I was in London, and I stayed in a house twice, and the rest of the time I was moving. I would far prefer a, a wagon than a house or a flat, because as I say, it's like a ship's cabin, it's like a little... Everything is at your reach. You know where Sansa is, you reach for that cupboard and it's there. Whereas a house, you've got to start looking around the place, or a flat, you've got to start looking here, looking there. You know, when you're born and bred and reared in one, it's no big deal. I mean, it's the way, it's your way of life. Well, I'm just in the room, packing. I'm in room 110, number one, Leeson Street. Dublin, packing, ready to go over to North Dublin. Uh, we're in the process of moving. Uh, so that's why the place is in such a state 
it's just packing up everything ready to go. Yeah, well, I mean, you never realise how much junk you've got until you go to pack it. I used to live with a, a sleeping bag and a, and a rucksack, and I was quite happy. But that was when I was younger. But now it's radio and tapes and books and junk. You know, it's just... It's not like moving with the circus. Like, I mean, everything is in the caravan or in the wagon. You've got it packed. You know where everything is, so it's not a problem. Well, this is, you know, cardboard boxes full of stuff. You I only served three years in the Irish Army and then went on my travels. So to come home to this was wonderful, really, because they, they do look after the guys. They look after them wonderfully. The only thing I think that keeps me... A little bit sane is the fact that I'm with... I mean, all the guys here are ex-army. So it's it's a bit, it, it's like a family, you know. And the organisation is fantastic. The ONE, the Ex-Servicemen's Association. The members that founded it, they actually took mortgages out on their houses. You know, it wasn't founded by the government or anything. It was by ex-soldiers that took mortgages out on their houses. So, I mean, I'm very lucky in a way. You know, I am. This is a number on the clarinet, uh, one of my favourite pieces. It's called Yesterday When I Was Young, which I suppose uh, I find it just a bit ironic. You know, it's, uh, you know, the, the lyrics, the last uh, couple of uh, words of the song are... Uh, and now it's time to pay for yesterday when I was young. So in other words, you've had a ball. Now it's payout time. I wouldn't like to go back into the business now. Not the way it is. I tried. And... Not, not for me. Yeah, I had been out of it for oh, ten years. Uh, that wasn't it, though. I mean, the, you know, that wasn't the problem. It's just things have changed, and the priorities are totally different now. I would rather just remember the good days the happy days of clowning. So, there you go. Closed. 
history.